hello. Uh, this is Frank Hope from uh, the Beyond Vaudeville program. I want to uh, welcome you to the Walter Paisley Movie House. It's a very good program, and I recommend you listen to it as much as possible. Welcome to the Walter Paisley Movie House, where we celebrate the little engines that could not. I am your host, Dylan Rorig, and our music is by Jonathan Harmon. We are brought to you in part by our partner sponsor, Scarlet Lane Brewing. With five locations in the Indianapolis area, there are plenty of opportunities to try the official beer of horror. Today's guest is an Academy Award-nominated actor, writer, director, comedian, storyteller, and editor. Since his first educational short in 1964, he has acted in over 200 movies and television shows. Starting his career as one of the founding members of the famed San Francisco improv troupe, The Committee, he has built a career playing quirky, funny, yet completely grounded characters in revered movies and TV shows such as Yours, Mine, and Ours, American Hot Wax, Lou Grant, Laverne and Shirley, Escape from Alcatraz, Annie, The Sting 2, Hill Street Blues, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Pretty Woman, Seinfeld, Breaking Bad, and Barry, among many, many others. But this show doesn't care about prestigious movies and TV shows. You want some cult cred? Well, get ready. He was in Evil Roy Slade, Lucifer's Women, The Finks, Steelyard Blues, Loose Shoes, The Jerk, Die Laughing, Gridlock, The Star Chamber, Dr. Dracula, Amazon Women on the Moon, in the best vignette from that movie, I might add, Son of the Invisible Man, Fatal Beauty, Nightfall, Tales from the Crypt, Death Warrant, Jean-Claude Van Damme, you guys, come on. Dark Romances Volume 1, Black Magic Woman, The Shadow, It's Pat the Movie, Pre-Hysteria 2, Walker, Texas Ranger, Gacy, Knee-High P.I., No One Knows Anything, and he was in the infamous two-part episode of Hunter called Rape and Revenge. Regular listeners will know how much I love Hunter. To list all the cool people he has worked with would take the rest of this episode, but I will say that he was Carl Gottlieb's roommate, hung out with Lenny Bruce, was in The Merry Pranksters, played baseball with Lucille Ball, impressed John Houston, took a confusing pitch from Bob Dylan, and caused a near riot when opening for the band. His very funny 1980 short film, Solly's Diner, was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Live Action Short Film. More recently, he was awarded the Best Supporting Actor Prize at the Vegas Movie Awards, Casablanca Film Factory Awards, and the World Film Carnival in Singapore for his work in the, in the 2022 independent experimental found footage movie, I Hear Trees Whispering. Not only that, he was also in an educational short distributed by the notorious Sid Davis Productions. If you've been to my movie nights, you know I love Sid Davis Productions. Please welcome the man who once interviewed copulating swingers in an unknown mid-60s porno that I am determined to find, Larry Hankin. Oh, well, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> quick now. <laughs> I guess you read the book, I guess. I Absolutely. I've got it right here. Uh, great book, That Guy. A Cautionary Memoir by Larry Hankin. I encourage all of our listeners to to buy this and read it. It's a great read. Um, I First and foremost, about your book, I, and this is probably an obvious question with an obvious answer, but were you influenced a lot? Were you reading a lot of the beats at that time in, in your early days, Kerouac, wow. Cassidy, and those guys? Well, I was, but I don't know if I was... Uh influenced by them many more than anything else. I mean, I didn't notice that, you know, oh, wow, I'm going to read some beat now. Uh, right. 
reading things that uh, everybody else was reading. That mm-hmm. was kind of what I was just trying to keep up. And uh, it, in the committee, we had to keep up. Sure, sure. I mean, everybody else was smarter than me. <laughs> really, I'm serious. Well, that was, I mean, that was a formidable group of people you were with in the committee. Well, it turned out, I mean, we didn't know. We just, you know, sure. five, six people, you know, hey, you want to go to San Francisco? No, I didn't want to go. Uh, I didn't know what was San I didn't know what the West Coast was like. I was a New York kid, you know, Long Island. So uh, anybody who wanted to go further than the Mississippi, I guess, mm-hmm. it's weird, <laughs> terra incognito. Uh, so I, I but um, through happenstance and luck, I, I they they tricked me and got me out. They sent me a plane ticket. I called it. I said. Well, look, if you want me, uh, we all met up in Chicago. I was in Second, Second City. Second City there, yeah. And so I said, uh, we're, we're getting me to the West Coast was what started my career, really. I was just mm-hmm. kind of just burping around. Uh, and they said, let's go to San Francisco. We're going to do a committee, a, San, a Second City thing in San Francisco. And I said, no, that's I don't know. The west coast so i'm going back to new york uh, i i was out of work in chicago there's too many people in the company so we mm-hmm. put on hiatus and i said i'm not waiting uh so i just went back to new york and i said to alan myerson who was the director of the committee and he was splitting with five improv improvisers i said send me a plane ticket in new york and i'll think about it and about two weeks later, I got a plane ticket. I, that just blew my mind. I mean, never nobody ever stepped up to anything they said before in my life, you know. So I, yeah. And so I thought, wow, well, I I, I got I mean, it's a plane ticket. I got to use it. So I mean, that basically that that was all the thinking <laughs> that I had. I, I did. It's a plane ticket. I got to use it. Yeah. So I got on the plane and I flew out there. I was, compl- I, you know, I bought a, I even bought a wash and wear suit. I, you know, I was doing my stand up and improvising in jeans and a t-shirt, you know, mm-hmm. regular. So I bought a, a wash and wear suit for $15, a brown suit. <laughs> and I flew out there and everybody else was in jeans and t-shirt. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, and I got a haircut. Everybody else had long hair. I mean, I just wrong, man, but... <laughs> I didn't know, you know, I just wasn't paying attention to anything. Yeah. So we started it and then it was lines around the block. I mean, we were as big, if not bigger than, or more famous than Second City in Chicago. So I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't want to go down to LA then, you know, that was a terror in Tagnito. And, and then they started coming up to see the show, the casting people. Mm-hmm. And we were being seen in the best light of all. I mean, in a hit show, we were all funny, you know? So um, that was like a gift. We didn't have to go. If we flew down to audition for people in Hollywood, we, we couldn't get in. I mean, who are you, you know? Right. No, you don't have representation, you know? So uh, I uh, finally, everybody split. That was the whole thing. Everybody in the committee, the first company, I mean, we were using people from San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And when you, 
Because so that and just, do a week. you know they would fly up, cast us, we'd go down, do a week, and come back. So they would you know get a replacement from you know we had a little training company, you know giving lessons and. So that was structured kind of like Second City style, exactly. where but, yeah, but not okay, as, not as big or planned. So, um, we we couldn't sustain it. I mean, we couldn't keep replacing the people. Just got kept in, kept getting weaker and weaker in the mm -hmm. improv department. There were <clears> one of the actors from San Francisco, and you know, and we the, the the original company all came. I mean, we had been stand up comedians or funny people in plays and summer stock and. Uh, stand up uh, all, all our lives, you know. I mean, mm -hmm. that, and then finally we got to Second City, all, all of us, uh, in Chicago, and we were trained. They have a school there, they have an actual school, and uh, the people who they choose have some experience in the world before they come to Second City because of their how well known they were. I mean, you, you had to re be really good and experienced. To even get into the school. I mean, everybody yeah. was auditioning from all over the world for Second City. So we didn't have that kind of you mm -hmm. know, planning and stuff. So uh, everybody left. Everybody finally went down to L.A. to become real actor. Well, <laughs> real actor. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, in, in, in media. Yeah. On the screen and on platforms. Yeah. And the yep. pay was huge, man. So everybody left. And the replacements, I was directing okay. in San Francisco. And the replacements wasn't as good as my original friends in the, you know, the first company. So I even left. That I first left. that first group for our listeners was Gary Goodrow, Hamilton Camp, yourself, Catherine Ish, Scott Beach, and Ellsworth Milburn. Uh, there's some... Dick Stahl also? I'm sorry? Did you say Dick Stahl also there? No. Was Dick Stahl in that first group with you? Dick Stahl was Catherine Ish's husband. So wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, that's Did a... you know who put Dick Stahl at all? I mean... Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, he's actually in that short with you. Um, the the Too Tough to Care short with you. Um, it's... <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That was... Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, that was a lot of committee people. Actually, when I when I ran across that and watched it, I I saw the Sid Davis logo pop up. But then it was intentionally funny rather than unintentionally funny. So I dug a little deeper and saw that they just distributed it. You guys were producing it and and uh, building it yourselves. I I don't know. I I just did it. It's a fun little short. It it's a lot of fun. Sid Sid Davis yeah, educational kind of films are notoriously there, bad. Right? Yeah, yeah. Watch it. It's a little. Uh, we were we were all stage actors at that mm -hmm. point, so we were. But you know, was, uh, I, I I sometimes forget that I've done it or that it exists. But mm -hmm. uh, it's cool. Well, I imagine with a career like yours, there's probably lots of stuff that's just slipped away. I mean, what you would. I mean, ninety percent of the stuff you read at the beginning of the show, <laughs> I totally forgot that I did. I mean, I mean that's part of the reason I do that is to kind of jog a memory or two because I know a lot of the people I interview have been in the business a long time, yeah. and so uh, I like to try and help get their memory jogged a little. Um, can can we back up a little bit to your childhood? 
um, you, you kind of pepper your memoir with memories of it. Um, I, I, one question I love to ask people when you were a kid, did you have like a local movie theater you would go to? Um, yeah, the, I, I come from, well, I come from far Rockaway, Long Island. Mm -hmm. and there, there wasn't many movie theaters to go to. Uh, I mean, there's one, I mean, that was it. Mm -hmm. uh, in 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 far Rockaway, in the urban when the where the stores were you know, yeah yeah houses so there there's one movie I can't remember the name of it like the Metro or something I don't mm -hmm. know. but that's where where we went but I had no I never thought of being in show business or an actor or anything like that I mean I was I grew up in a very protected environment uh i don't know what to call it jail i guess would be the ne next thing i mean i didn't know what was going on outside of far yeah. outside of the block i mean my parents were just total conservative don't learn anything don't ask questions no books in the house no mm. art I mean, it was just how I escaped that. Well, and I did. I escaped. I mean, I always wanted to run away. Yeah. Well, I, I have no... My family life was kind of barren in a way. You know, there was no input, no... Uh, so I, I pleaded, begged, and I was... Tri I tricked myself, actually, into going to an out-of-town college, Syracuse University, mm -hmm. to get away. Um and when I got there, I mean, I just didn't know anything, you know. I was just like, like, uh, what are you one of those people in 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 Pennsylvania, you know? The, Amish. <laughs> I was like an Amish, yeah. I was like, like an Amish guy. Mm -hmm. The, uh, I was, I was, but my parents didn't pay any attention to religion at all, but they made me get bar mitzvah in an Orthodox shul on Shabbos, and. <laughs> I, you know, I had, I, you know, it just blew my mind. I just got a, I, I got a hundred and two temperature just for spike. And, you, know, <laughs> uh, you know, how I knew I, I, I how the, the the shul had a thermometer that they uh, got the germs off of by dipping in wine. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, I had 102 temperature. Wow! But did I, you get you through know, your full hot Torah? I didn't have a temperature. Yeah, did you get through your full hot Torah and, and get everything? Well, you know, it was just pressure, man, because I didn't know the language I was talking. Hebrew, right. an ancient language that mm -hmm. was, you know, taught by people in North Africa, you know, thousands of years ago. <laughs> you know, that's all I knew about. I, it was just. Uh, yeah, and then and then the, the the lie of it all was that an orthodox, a really an orthodox orthodox shul, where you know on Shabbos on Saturday, a very sacred day, where you can't even handle the keys to your house. Mm -hmm. That that is considered work. Putting carrying your keys to your house and putting them in your pocket right. is work in Jewish religion. So you, you can't do that. And what did we do? 
we drove to the shul and parked two blocks away so <laughs> the rabbi police wouldn't see what we did. <laughs> and they wanted me to, in this foreign language. I mean, that's what was going through my head. Why right. did they put through this? It was never brought up my entire life. <laughs> you know, religion. Yeah. Then suddenly, you know. <clears throat> So it was more just a, a an act of tradition coming, and I think that happened a lot with immigrants yeah, that just, were coming no, over to try and carry that on. Yeah, I finally figured it it out because I, I all through my life, I, you know, how did my life happen? You know, because I was always running away from. So it, it was that it was, um, it, it it was habit. Yeah, it was the the proper thing to do, but also yeah. I didn't realize until my, you know much, much later, that my parents, both my parents on, on both sides, the families, they were first, their parents, my parents, mm -hmm. their parents were first generation Americans. They were immigrants. Mm -hmm. So the, the one of the things that an immigrant knows, wants, dreams of when they come here, forever, from the beginning to now, is they dream of their son will or daughter, their progeny will go to college. That's like a yeah. sign to immigrants of success. <clears throat> you know, my I sent my son to college. So that's what it was all about. I never realized it. And I don't think they realized it either. They were just, you know, on this track of mm -hmm. the first generation American, we gotta send our progeny to college. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw industrial design. Right. No, I want to be a painter. See, I, the, I have yeah, a, your art. I, I definitely want to talk to you about your artwork. I, I want to be a. I want to be an artist. I want to be a poet. I want to be a writer. I want to, you know, but but just kind of because it was different, and they were all out of the house. They nobody, <laughs> no artist, no painter was living with their parents. That's all I knew. So, uh, I saw industrial design, Syracuse University. I had to first convince them that I had to go out of town just to get away. Yeah. I saw industrial, so I said, well, industrial design. And I saw design, the word design. Mm -hmm. And they saw industrial. So we both did it for, what, specious reasons? For sure. <laughs> so, uh, but when I got there, it was all calculus and, you know, math and <clears throat> engineering. And I go, whoa, did I make a mistake? I mean, that's how unschooled I was in the world. I mean, yeah. I a mistake, industrial design, and I thought, I'm going to design school. I mean, I, so, and they let me go because of the industrial. Oh, he's going to get a career and design something. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but when I got there, my best friend became Carl Gottlieb. We mentioned he wrote George. He wanted to be a writer. And, Iron Balls McGinty. Excuse me? Iron Balls McGinty. Well, what's that from? From the jerk. <laughs> He oh, was. I, I, I don't watch anything. I I, I forgotten how well I do. So, so uh, yeah. So, but but he was in the drama department, and so mm -hmm. he I he I would hang around with him, and so I got cast in a couple of things just because I was hanging around him, and that got me interested in acting. So, and I got thrown out of college twice because I just I was. I was up to here and bullshit, you know. I, yeah. I, just, uh, 
I didn't know how to get along. I joined a uh, what do you call it? A fraternity, but it was a weird fraternity, just like me. I mean, I picked the right fraternity. It's just, <laughs> it's just a bunch of weird guys. Uh, you know, and, and and I became vice president, so that's how weird it was. And then <laughs> on on uh, you know what was it? Uh, sledge night. Mm -hmm. I had the, the vice president of the fraternity was in charge of pledge night. So I had to send the pledges through, you know, the horror of, of pledge night, you know, and, uh, and I didn't want to do that. And I didn't want to send anybody through it. I went through pledge night. And it was just stupid. And right. I mean, I didn't get it at all. And I thought, what am I doing? Why am I here? What, who are these people? You know? <laughs> so I just took all the, pledges in into the living room and i said oh and i said to the brothers because they were watching you know right what is larry going to do with the pledges how, <laughs> how is he going to make their life horrible for one night you know no sleep and what i said i'm going to take them for i, I told everybody I said, look here's what i'm going to i'm going to take them for a march i'm going to leave i'm going to go to the center of the quad and then i'm going to tell them to get naked and get back to the house so I said that. So okay, so I said, I'm not going to tell him until we get there. So I said, okay, everybody, you know, line up. So I marched to the quad, which wasn't too far away. At night, this is you know like nine o'clock at night at Syracuse, and we marched to the quad. And I said, okay, you're free. Just get back to the house by morning. That's all. Bye. And I just walked back to the house, and I just and then they were just wondering what. Well, this is like pledge night. We're free. We can just. <laughs> <laughs> so I just left and I said, well, you know, well, what did you do? I said, yeah. Yeah, they'll be back soon. You know, I hope. I don't know. They're naked in the middle of the quad. Of course, they weren't. They were just right. <laughs> so, and then they all came back, you know, in about, uh, you know, 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. Just came back in an hour. You know, they just took their time. So <laughs> went, well, you know, went down to the, you know, the, the 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 coffee house where everybody hung out, right, or the bar. And they go, and they all had their clothes. You know, and he said, "Where's their?" Uh, I said, "I hid their clothes. I, I was supposed to take their clothes back." So right, right. I said, "Well, I don't know. I just hid them. I don't know." I, I don't know. But then when they started coming back and they were all dressed and they said, well, he just left us in the middle of the quad. Man, did they get pissed. <laughs> the brothers. <laughs> what do you mean? You didn't do nothing? Nothing? Nothing at all? What? Like, oh, it was kind of stupid. I mean, you want, you know. Yeah. You know, put peanut butter on your face and on your privates. And, you know, I don't, I don't get that. I don't, yeah. you know, and. I, so I said, you really think I should have done what you wanted me to do? So anyway, I was kind of a, a weird guy in the I was I was the weirdest. Yeah. <laughs> but I stuck it out, you know, and I, and then the next year I was in there for a year. And then I just moved out, you know. Mm -hmm. And I just uh but at the end the <clears throat> the reason I'm telling you this story is is that Carl, I said to Carl, because I didn't want to be an industrial diner. So so far, I didn't want to be anything, right? From right. The I was born. I didn't just. I didn't want to be wherever I was. 
that 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 seems to be what I'm saying. Here. I get that. Uh, and uh, so I said to Carl, "Where are you going? I don't want to go." They I, they had me going to because uh, I was an A student. I mean, I like to draw. It's not that I'm stupid, you know. Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to do industrial design because I went, you know. They they sent us to uh, <laughs> Detroit to design cars to look at. You know, they wanted Detroit Ford Motor Company wanted to see what the new crop of industrial designers were. Yeah. So all the colleges sent uh, two people or one person to Detroit. And when I went there, I didn't like what I was seeing and doing and, you know, and say, well, you're going to do this and we're going to do that and design this. And I said, no, I want to be an artist. This is no, this is, I mean, I knew what I was getting into. I mean, I was in five, it's a five-year course of industrial design. I knew it was math and engineering, but I just didn't like the setup or anything. And I, mm -hmm. and I said so, you know, I said, well, I mean, you know, I expected more. You know, they, they said I was the guy who was running the tour for Ford Motor Company, where I think there's a 10 students, one from each college. And I was, you know, I was always saying, yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was I was displeased, you know. Oh, you like that? No, I don't like that. I just picked it up because I thought I was, the, the line that did it was, my line was, I was expecting more from Ford. <laughs> that was the, the bridge too far. <laughs> I believe they call that chutzpah. <laughs> well, but I didn't see. That's that's the thing. I didn't know it was chutzpah. <laughs> I was just saying what I thought. Uh -huh. You know, hey, if I want to work here, uh, I, I got to be honest. I thought it was an honest working place. and And then I suddenly said that. And the look on the guy's face, and the next thing that he said was, I thought, there's no way that I can work here and see anything right. <laughs> whatever I say is going to, I'm going to insult somebody. So right. I, I can't work here. And what he said was, he put the, 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 the point to it. He said, um, you, you really don't want to work here, do you? And I go, no, I don't. And he said, okay, fine, let's go. You know, and then we, he just went on to go. But when we go, when I got back to Syracuse, they said, what, what, what happened there? My teachers, my professors, what happened there? I said, I don't know. It was just, you know, I wasn't impressed. And they said, I guess so, because they said, don't send Larry Yankee. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, and I just kept on getting thrown out. And then, you know, I didn't want my parents to find out because I didn't want them to get mad because I was trying to be a good son. You know? Right. Yeah. So I, so I pleaded and silver tongued my way back into, you know, hey, you can't do, you know, I really, I didn't know I would, you know, please don't, hey, I don't want my parents. But they always let me back in because I was a good student. I mean, I was like an A minus student or something. Mm -hmm. But so I said to Carl, where are you going? He said, I'm going to Greenwich Village to be, I want to be a writer. You know, I'll get on a newspaper or something. So I said, how'd you like a, a roommate? And he goes, fine, great. I don't have that much money. So we, I said, fine. I said goodbye to everybody in industrial design on uh, graduation day. I didn't, uh, I didn't go to graduation. I got into a big fight. That was the portion of your book early on in there when I was reading it. It felt like I was reading Kerouac. The the way that you drew imagery and very short punctuated sentences 
as well, I read it, I could almost hear Neil Cassidy reading it out loud or something. It was, it was, I, I was like, man, he read some beats. <laughs> I could just... Oh yeah. Well, I, I, I did, but no, what you particularly picked out wasn't because I was imitating. I don't think it was imitation. I just think it's your no, style no, I mean, and it, it kind of feeds it. No, I can't. What it was, was because I've, I've read the book several times because of typos. Yep. Um, what what it was was now maybe this is connected, but in, in my mind, what I was doing was if you write and and things get like tense or in the writing, as you're describing, like say a fight, mm -hmm. something with a high energy, the, the the sentences start to come quicker and and shorter. Yeah, it, it's an emotional writing. It's mm -hmm. you, know, you just want to get it all out. It, it's a lot going, you know fight and fists and you know speed so that that's where it came from but now right now in this day and age i'm i've just reread on the road by caroline oh uh -huh. and i'm doing a lot of reading because i'm writing a second book so i got a oh, great get a lot of input so i'm reading you know Vonnegut and jack london and all the good ones you know? yeah yeah and, and uh uh, strangely, I'm also, I just sent away for Tuesdays with Maury. I want to get the voice. I want to get the, the singular mm -hmm. narrator of voice uh, and, and the construction. So I just read it and I was thinking, wow, man, I remember sort of reading this when I was in college, which is where you're talking from. Mm -hmm. I remember reading it, but I thought, wow, um, this is totally different than I remember it. Um, uh, I was just incredibly fascinated with the Neil Cassidy character, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, man, what's it? What was his name? I knew you were going to ask that. And my mind blanked out. Oh, aging yeah, sucks, I, man. I, I, it's, and he says that he repeats it over and over at the end. The last thing is... Um. Thank and da 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 da. -da, -da. Anyway, but, but that's who I. I mean, the the character written in the book that was taken from Neil Car Neil Cassidy. Yeah, yeah. Was just unbelievable. The guy was unreal, man. Yeah. It's the, the that character stood out of all the characters in all the books I've ever read. That one character that that Kerouac read that Kerouac mm -hmm. wrote about how he was just he was on all the time and totally right but just you can't be on all the time and totally right it, it it's too much for yeah human beings to grok you it's he just comes at you just as flow a fountain of information and emotion and lies and fantasies yeah. Just throwing him. I dream of Dean Moriarty. Dean Moriarty. Dean Moriarty. I dream of Dean Moriarty. I dream of Dean Moriarty. Yeah. Okay. I knew it'd come to me. A machine of info and just tricks and man, it was just great. It was it was good. And I, I guess because I couldn't understand now when I'm reading it now, mm -hmm. why it was so popular back then, the book. And 
it was because of Dean Moriarty, the the capturing of that was amazing. Yeah. Oh, the rest of the book, you know, uh, Kerouac's character was just he would do anything that Dean said. Let's do this. Let's go yeah. anywhere. And when all his girlfriends were just uh, blown away by the the power of Dean. You yeah. Know, they just force the life force. Mm -hmm. oh yeah when i read it i just was holy cow and i read this in the 60s while i was in uh, the um in the committee That's mm -hmm. what I uh but i didn't get you know i was just too naive i was just too numb to but so this time when i read it i just got the full force of it and, cool. and I, wow yeah now, i love I, revisiting I, books like that excuse me I just love revisiting books like that because they change so much as you grow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> um, and I'm reading now. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. If we're getting into books now, but um, Mary Carr, uh, The Liars Club. I don't know. Oh, I'm, 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 I haven't read it, but I, I know the the book. Uh, okay, well, she is incredible. She's like the Bob Dylan of books of memoirs. I mean, she's just incredible. And I'm reading now her book on. How to write memoirs? Oh, okay, cool. Me away. It just uh, it, there's I can't you can't you you got to absorb it like just through your skin or something because I'm starting to see because I was always a writer. I never I stopped reading for years. Now mm -hmm. I'm doing it. When I was a little kid, there wasn't that much television. You know, I I would read. That was what was because uh, uh, we had uh, my parents had no. No art, no interest in, in in any kind of art or knowledge or making themselves better. Um, so w I read a lot of books because they had two things to impress people when they came over to visit our house, their friends, mm -hmm. um, which was the entire collection, collected works of the Encyclopedia Britannica, the entire <laughs> works, and great books of history you know like right swift and all the classics you know uh the three musketeers mm -hmm. and uh, all the old ones so you know about 15 or 20 the collected work in, in all the book you know all the books had the same kind of cover you know? yeah so those <laughs> are the two things so all i did was i looked up words in the encyclopedia britannica or i read sections of every book in the great works of you know yeah, right. You know, I never read anything whole, uh, but I could steal enough. I knew enough growing up about stealing other people's work to get, you know, A's and B's. <laughs> uh, so, like, for instance, uh, one of the assignments I remember in public school, I guess the eighth grade, was to do a, a book, uh, an essay on a famous book. So I, I, you know, I just went up to it. I didn't know the difference of, of any of the books. They were all the same. I didn't know writing or names or anything. Mm -hmm. I picked one. Now, I do remember what it was, but it was just, you know, I, I do. Jan, uh, Cervantes and Jonathan Swift, I did understand that, wow, these guys are funny. I did. And there was, I got a hit of something besides just words. And, you know, mm -hmm. so, that, so, so I picked... Um, Tolstoy, Leo Tolstoy, Anna Karenina. I, I'll never forget that because I didn't. So I just opened it up 
I read the first, you know, two or three or four pages. Then I read about 10 pages in the middle. And then I read about 10 pages at the end. <laughs> and I did a report on those, <clears throat> I don't know, maybe 10, 20, 23 pages. Mm -hmm. You know, ver almost, almost verbatim, but I knew enough to change enough. Sure. And shit. So, and I handed it in and, and I got, the, you know, like a, an A minus or a B plus. And I thought, wow, okay, I got this down. <laughs> okay, let's try high school now. <laughs> and, you know, and that's how I kind of made it through the world once I got outside the house. You know, it was just hunt and peck. Just give it a shot. Mm -hmm. Just try, any, try anything was what I, you know, it's 50-50 chance. Now, I didn't know, but at the time, I was dyslexic. And I still am. I mean, I was born dyslexic. Yeah. I'm, I'm a dyslexic. So there's a lot of things where I, I have a chance, a 50-50 chance of really understanding the full import of what you're saying. Right. If it's too long, like, for mm -hmm. instance, a teacher. Somebody trying to teach me something. Yeah. In one ear stops right there and falls out. Back. Yeah. Doesn't even go in. Uh, it's just I can't. Too much information too fast. Yes. Yeah. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. It really a struggle. So uh, I would, it was a hunt and peck life until I found I could focus enough uh, because it was kind of artsy, art acting, creativity, mm -hmm. that side of my brain maybe uh, was better than the other side of my brain. So that's what I did. So when I got to Greenwich Village, you know, I, I was just bussing bars. I mean, I've turned down, I guess we were going to make $75,000 a year in, in Detroit. My other friends <laughs> were going to go to And I was bussing bars from six from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. <laughs> rent you know when did you start stand up then well i had my evenings free so i just go to the coffee houses we were in greenwich village we lived in greenwich village yeah so like the gaslight the... yeah yeah right yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, that's where i played the gaslight uh cock and bull um uh the the, the was it uh cafe wa was that there at the time cafe wa holy yeah. cow you how do you know all that stuff? I read a lot of stuff from before oh, my really? time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was there. We were all there. Everybody who's famous now was there. Yeah, it was a cool Everybody scene back then. In the 60s and 70s. Bob Dylan, uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary separately. Mm -hmm. Each one, they weren't Peter, Paul, and Mary yet. Right. They were just Noel Stuckey and uh, Peter Yarrow, Mary. Uh, and, and, and everybody else. I mean... Mm -hmm. Dave Van Ronk and uh, Jimi Hendrix and Phil Oaks and just everybody who became famous in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, all the bands were there. Okay, so uh, that's uh, so that was the beginning of my critical thinking education, where, where I became me. I, I started to become Larry Hankin and I, mm -hmm. just this vapor. <laughs> uh, floating around uh and i started to get educated and i started doing critical thinking stuff and then i started to tour with you mentioned uh, i i i i toured with uh love and spoonful love and spoonful 
I think I said the band, didn't I? The band. I think my but wires know, got I, crossed I on that one. I lived with them for for a, a summer. Yeah. I okay. Lived with Dylan for uh, I don't know, seventy, nineteen seventy. I don't know. I went to. I went. To, yeah. I was. Dylan wanted me to write something for. Yeah. No. Uh. uh the band wanted me to write a movie for them that Dylan and the band could write the music. For. Right. It's something about a carny, right? Like, carny. The, yeah, carnival life. I, yeah. Yeah. But I didn't know anything, but I said, yes, you know, you're supposed to sure. say Sure. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> he caught me on the, on the, when he picked me up from the airport or from the bus, I took a bus up to, uh, uh, where they were living up, upstate. So he picked me up at the bus station. Um, Robbie, mm-hmm. Robbie Robertson, picked me up. But on the way to his house, he had to pick up something before he took me to where I was going to move in for the summer. On the way up, we talked, and he s- discovered I wasn't who I said I was. <laughs> he busted me, man, and he, he just got really worried. He said, "You, you don't know anything about Carney." I go, well, and I, because I, I just forgot. I mean, you know, the conversations have been so long in between. And right. he's just talking me up, you know, we're driving and talking. And he just kind of finessed its way into the conversation. And I said, well, yeah, you know, I'm, but that's what I was hired to do. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I can write a book, about, um, movie about Carney. Yeah. He's, <laughs> and he goes, you don't know anything about Carney? Carnivals? And I said, well, and it was too late. Shut up. <laughs> and the rest of the ride, and I was thought, uh oh. Because the rest of the ride was just silent. Right. <laughs> and now he was thinking, what do I tell Bob? What do I tell, you know, how, how is this going to work? We already mm-hmm. got the money. I was already paid. I was paid $35,000. Right. In the bank. I wouldn't, I wouldn't budge until it was in the bank. I kind of, you know, I, that, yeah. at least I believe that. So it was money in front. And so, uh, I, I, but I said, I, how am I going to do this? And how am I going to keep the money? I need the money. You know, so that was what I was thinking. So both of us were silent. He was thinking, what do I tell Bob? Uh, and Warner Brothers. Right. And and I'm thinking, what do I tell Bob and Warner Brothers? <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> um, and I and also here's the proof of what I'm telling you now. When we find it, because he had to, he said I have to drop off something for my wife. So okay. we pulled into his, his driveway, and he said, "Why don't you just wait?" He says, "You can come in or wait. You wait in the car. I got I got to just talk to my wife." So I said, "No, I'll come in." I, I just I was curious, you know, where where I am and where I'm going to be fired from. So, <laughs> because you know that's my always my go to thing. By the way. Through all my 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 show business history, if I thought I couldn't cut something, but I lied my way into it, mm-hmm. how am I going to stay here? Um, well, you know, or or, or how am I going to handle the firing? Right. So what I would do before I started, what what I thought I might not be able to pull off, I would fire myself. I would say, okay, I'm fired. If Interesting. I, fuck it up. You're right. And it would relax me. I'd say, you know, okay, you're fired. Okay, you know, you're going to be embarrassed. They're going to say, yeah, they got to replace you. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. And so now, 
his other jobs. Okay. Hmm. You know, and and I was just okay. You know, it's cool. I, I would relax. Now a lot of actors have a lot of ways. Uh, De Niro has a great way, but it's you, you got to be able to pull it off in front. Um, he says, "What do you mean to himself?" He says, "I got this." I mean, you know, everybody says that, but he would do it. Yeah. He would say, "I got this." There's no way I'm not going to get this, you know. Mm -hmm. And he does. He just goes in, wham, with you know, I right. own you, people. Uh, I, I didn't have that much chutzpah. So right. I had to fire myself and get relaxed. Because basically what you want to do is just relax. That right. Is, acting is, is relaxation. And as many people have said to me, Hamilton Camp, for one, in the committee, I walk me into him. <laughs> How to act. I walk me into him. Mm -hmm. you, know, you relax. Relax yourself. Yeah. Disappear. And then in Washington, you know, whatever. So uh, that's what I and and it and it, it worked. Uh, it, it always worked. I would do it. I've done it several times in my life, you know. And I always. Uh, and then there was only one time in my entire life where I got fired, and I, I wasn't ready for it because I had the job. I was fired on the set. Mm -hmm. um, no, in the read, in the in the in the table read. Uh, I was pulled aside. But I, I think it was really a writing thing because I watched the show and the character wasn't in the show. So I think it was a writing thing that like, oh my God, you're terrible. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of tr lot of tricks. Every actor has a, a trick that they do for whatever reason. To yeah. So the acting schools are just really uh, to calm you down. It's like saying you're fired or you've got this or, you know, going to acting school gives you the chutzpah. It, yeah. It's a little card. I'm an actor, I, and I can do it. You know. I was a theater major, so yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, every every acting school I peeked in it on, it was, oh, this is well, that's not what the last one said, but it works. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I got into acting was Greenwich Village and stand up. Yeah. You know, and dying on stage a lot. I mean, I always start out bad. I mean, uh, because I, because I wasn't taught. I've also found this out that I wasn't taught how to learn. It, interesting. That's how my parents kept the shutters on. That's how religions keep you in the religion. Mm -hmm. That's how they shakabuku you. They they kill the switch that makes you learn it's a curiosity thing it's uh they they numb the curiosity trigger don't ask questions yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't ask questions don't ask questions questions are questions are bad just accept what questions we tell you you're on trouble you know mm -hmm. and confusion <clears throat> and they start fights and don't ask questions so i didn't know how to learn i i, mm -hmm. I mean i didn't figure that out until i was in my 30s man yeah my god man because i would just go in and uh, in other words the the picture i had was the the jungle is a circle you have a helicopter in or out but it's only one way you have to either get in by yourself into a jungle mm -hmm. and there's a helicopter in the center you can fly out or you can fly into the center and you got to get out by yourself that's a, what i always thought was how to learn 
That's really cool. Well, it's cool, but it's fun, man, because yeah. the sh the going in or coming out without the helicopter is... It's a I struggle. Mean, yeah, it's just <laughs> destructive. You can get bitten by snakes and <laughs> I mean, everything along the way, CEOs, the suits, the the regimen, the ritual, the knowing who, when, what mm -hmm. questions to ask. That's what you learn in school. Yeah. I love that analogy. That's a great analogy. I really like that. That's what I, yeah, so I held used until I was like 35 or something. Mm -hmm. It it was it was it worked, but it was brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. But uh, so I got a lot of scars. I mean, that that was the deal. You know, when I graduated, I, I started the fight. Right. I never thought about the ending of the fight. I just started. And for yeah. for the right reason, I might add. I mean, you started the fight for the right reason. Well, yes, but <laughs> stupid nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to give me. On that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm defending a woman, you know, right? Yeah, female, you know. <laughs> well, I, I've heard you say that you left stand up when you realized you weren't having conversations anymore, you were just testing material out on people. Well, where did you hear that? Yeah, that's true. Uh, I listened to a lot of interviews that you've had. Wow, man, that's oh. yeah, that's true. But it's, it's, it's rare. I never, well, anyway. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Now, wait a minute. Say that again because. Yeah, you were saying that you, you left stand-up when you realized you were no longer having oh, yeah, conversations. conversations. Yeah. The improv. I, I even remember mm -hmm. where that thought came to me. It was in the middle of a conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, what you would do is, because there was this like an open, not an open mic night. Well, yes, there was an open mic night at the mm -hmm. improv. That's how I got, I used to get hired there a lot. Okay. You know, big acts. But um, the way you got on stage was uh, Friedman, you know, whatever. Bud name. Friedman. Bud, Bud Friedman. Yeah. Um, would uh, put you up on like, you know, Monday nights or, you know, an off night, three minutes, five minutes, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I would do that. And then what you would do is you come off stage and then you would go to the bar where all the comedians were hanging out waiting for their turn to go into the room mm -hmm. and you would have conversations and i suddenly realized after doing it you know for a whole you know summer that everybody at the bar who was a stand-up everybody at the bar was a stand-up comedian a b everybody at the bar was talking and in you know intent intense conversations but this was what they were going to do when they go up on the stage. This was their, the conversation was the five minute on stage act. Mm -hmm. So um, I couldn't do it anymore because I thought, no, he's just testing out material on me and I'm testing out material on him. Nobody's yeah. really talking to one another. That kind of blew my mind because I stopped hanging out at the bar. Mm-hmm. And then out of, and I, you know what it was? I think basically I was moving on. In other words, my yeah. DNA was moving on. Was, I was growing up in, in, in the physical sense of the word, not, not in the philosophical sense of the word. Yeah. I mean, it's literally growing away from just hanging out at the bar and talking to other yeah. comedians who, did, who were just testing out material on me. And yeah. 
so I stopped going there and then I stopped being a stand-up comedian. I mean, I just really stopped and I started auditioning them because mm-hmm. I thought I got to make some money here. Right. But I, I didn't enjoy stand-up. Well, and also the cops too. You know, I was getting critical thinking and, and right. Benny was being taken off the stage and Richie was being taken off the stage and uh, Carl, you know. Um, Carlin. I forgot his name. Anyway. George Carlin? George Carlin, yeah. Yeah. It was being taken off the stage. And I thought, you know, again, it was a learning curve. I had to be taken off the stage by police several times. Such bullshit. Excuse me? I just said that's just such bullshit. It's just. Well, yeah, but that's what was going on. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. You know, that's what it is. It's bullshit. Yeah. It's, what are you going to do? I, right. I, you had to have a lawyer and a lot of money and or you just had to have the desire to I don't care. And I, I mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have that. I didn't have a George Carlin or Richie Pryor or Lenny Bruce. Right. Which and was, the, the trajectory stay, of those I careers stand on the stage and, and talk and make people laugh, you know, yeah. and don't get in my way. And I don't care if you're pulling me up, you know, and and I saw I said, oh, I get it. When the police mm-hmm. were taking me off the stage because of what I was saying, you know, um, and I didn't get it. I couldn't put two and two together. And I thought, this is effed, you know, mm-hmm. I I don't want to, this is not fun. And I would call my agent, you know, my manager. And I'd say, it's not fun, man. And he said, well, join Second City. So that's how I got into right. Second City and the committee. And I think it's like one of those I think everybody, especially people who go into stand-up, reach that that turning point where either they double down on what they're doing and see where that goes, or they just say, you know what, this isn't for me. And, you know, you look at the case examples you brought up, Richard Pryor and George Carlin were an, an anomaly that they made it work. Whereas Lenny Bruce, for all that he did for the world of First Amendment rights and for every comic that came after him, his ending was very, very sad. I mean, he was just sitting up there reading legal documents angrily at the audience. You know, he was just pissed I was there about things. That, performance. that his that final one, you, yeah, his, his last performance, his last performance. That's oh, yeah, there. yeah, yeah. It was, it was sad. It, it was, was just sad. sad. It was like Don Quixote trying to prove he's sane. That's part one with Larry Hankin. This is probably one of my favorite interviews I've done so far. I'll be honest with you guys, we don't get too much into his career. We just talk. Uh, The next part, we get into more about Lenny Bruce, more about the people he was hanging out with, the life he led. Uh, Just a cool dude across the board. I really enjoyed talking to him. Uh, He and I are talking about uh, him coming back for another visit. And maybe that time we'll get a little more into his career. But uh, for now, I just love talking to him. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Uh, Yeah, get back out in the world. Have yourself a drink or two. Check out Scarlet Lane if you're in the Indianapolis area. Five locations to check out. It's the great place for the official beer of horror. And when you do check out that place or anywhere, take care of your servers. Because at the Walter Paisley Movie House, we do not piss on hospitality. Till next time.